good morning everyone my mic is on I pray that you are <clears throat> well in the presence of the Lord and that you are happy to be in his presence once again I'm grateful as always to be here and greetings to those of you who are joining us via live stream in whatever form or fashion YouTube Good morning, Vimeo. Good morning, uh, Facebook. Good morning. And especially the way that uh, you would start jumping over to our website, hispresence.church, joining us live there. We are I'm attempting to push for people to go over there a little bit more where we don't necessarily have to worry about being censored or cut off in any kind of way and I can start the live stream even right now a little bit earlier uh, look forward to the day when we have a full worship team and then we don't have to worry about that but even in this day and in this hour where, where um, we have big tech attempting to silence and censor individuals for speaking truth it's a uh, funny thing and you see these memes and things all over that fact checkers didn't exist until the truth started to be proclaimed and and so we want to push in that direction at some point soon I pray that we'll have an app and our own app and then we'll really push people toward downloading the app and we won't have to deal with many of these things so but until that day we worship in excellence right where we are so we're so grateful for this Sunday, and uh, I want to pray and jump right into the word uh, of the Lord. Of course, for those of us who here who want to give, we know where our offering boxes are, envelopes, and those things, and you are free to give your tithes and offering. And for those of us who are online, uh, you are able to, if you want to give, you want to tithe for those of you who are a part of this house you can go to hispresence.church you can watch the live stream from there as well you'll see a link for for that but you can click the generosity the give tab and it will lead you through the steps that are secure link to go ahead and give if you'd like to do it via text we also have text to give you can text the word give to 737-214-4414 and we can give through those mediums. As always, uh, I have mentioned multiple times, we are not giving to the church, we're giving through it. It is the Lord who has uh, ordained, established this mode of sowing and reaping, of giving. So it is not I am just giving to this particular church, yes. There are things that uh, ministries, we survive by the, uh, we, we exist by the donations of people. But I believe that even if you do not give, if the Lord has established us, he will provide however he so chooses. But we, we do operate from a practical standpoint, from the giving of the believers, those who give love offerings and tithes into the house. But you are not giving to a church you're giving through it to the Father, to the Son, 
you're giving because he is the one. He says, give, bring unto my storehouse that there may be meat in my house. He has set it up. Give, uh, you know, in all of these scriptures that we know so well and have heard, he has instituted it. And so therefore we are giving at his command. We're giving to him through his church, through his vehicle that he is. Uh, that makes it where we don't look to man to give to us, but we look to the father to give through us. And, and in majority of circumstances, he gives through men to do it. But we don't look for a specific situation, a specific person, but we're looking to the father and the son, the son seated at the right hand of the father forever making intercession for us. We look to them to give back into our lives. And when we do that, and when we're able to have our eyes and our gaze fixed in that mold and our heart fixed in that place, it purifies our gift. It purifies our motives. And we're now free to give without any uh, dirt or any negative thing mixed into our giving. Uh, where, where he says in 2 Corinthians 9, that, that God loves a prompt-to-do-it giver whose heart is in his giving. When our eyes are fixed rightly in the right place and we look to the right place for a return on those things that we give, it, it puts us in a place where our, we can be prompt, quick to give. We, we, we can have our heart fully invested in all that we're doing because our heart is now fixed upon the Lord to return unto us, to do for us what maybe at one point in time we looked at man to do. So let's give today. And I want to jump into what we have. The Lord, we are beginning a new series. And we were in this one series for six months. I am not sure how long this one will be or what, what will come of it. I am just going moment by moment as the Lord guides. I didn't, he gave me at the beginning of the year two series. And I didn't necessarily anticipate or believe that the first series would go six months exactly. I, I had no idea. But I began to feel three weeks ago that we were coming to the end of the series, that we were ending it. And last week I felt that that should be it on the series and I had to finish up the end of it for that moment. And I believe that we had other messages and other people to bring about, to talk about as we talk consistently over these six months about the birthing room, the birthing room of revival. And I felt last week, especially that the Lord say that this is it in it. And this week we start <clears throat> a, a new series building his house 
And we don't want to just build his house, but we want to build it his way. And as we prepare to pray, I'm just looking for this passage of scripture that I should have looked for earlier. I didn't think about that I was going to give it. Let me see if I can find it. But let, let's pray this morning. Father, we love you. <clears throat> oh, how greatly we love you and desire to be with you. Desire to walk with you. Desire for you to overshadow us at every moment. Oh, how we this morning desire that by the work of your spirit, you would cleanse us and purify us even greater. That we could contain more of you and walk closer with you. So we ask you this morning that you would make us over. Give us a heart to know you and to long for you. Every moment of every day. Give us a mind that seeks after you that pursues the knowledge of your ways and your will and your purposes and your plans in this earth. Give us eyes that look not to the left or nor to the right, but look straight to you that we might capture your gaze. Give us ears to hear of the beauty of which you speak. Give us a life that is lived, completely consecrated, fully sold out, surrendered, and yielded to you. This morning we ask that you would speak to us, that you would guide us into the depths of your heart. Allow us to know what do you know. Allow us to know what you desire, to see what you feel for this day and in this hour for our lives and for the lives of those who surround us. But we just thank you. We magnify you. We honor you this morning for you're the only one who is worthy. We posture ourselves at your feet this morning to hear from you, to learn from you, to glean from your wisdom, from your beauty. We are well aware that one word from you can change everything. So we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would unclog our ears, that we might hear what the Master says through you to us. What is needful and necessary to quicken and transform our lives this very moment. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name. As I mentioned, we are beginning this new series. I don't know how long it will take us or how far it will go, but the only series we've done for this year has gone six months, and here we are building his house, building it his way. If we're going to see the thing that we long to see and if we're going to walk in 
what so many who are believers say that they want to and we desire to walk in. We're going to have to look at things from his perspective, from his vantage point. We're going to have to begin to do things his way. We, in the previous series, we talked about two kings who allowed the Lord to use them to cause revival to be birthed in the land through them. And the one thing about both of them that the scripture said first and foremost about the both of them, King Hezekiah and Josiah, is that they did what was right in the sight of the Lord. If you and I, if we're going to build his house and if we're going to do what he desires today and fulfill his plans and purposes, we're going to have to be able to capture his heart, see his heart, and we're going to have to do what he desires. This entire series comes out of Haggai, and, and I'm, today I won't go to Haggai, but Haggai chapter 2, where the Lord asks the governor and the high priest. It's interesting that oftentimes in the church we want to separate politics and we want to separate the governmental aspect of life from the church, and yet Inside of scripture, the government and the church were one and the same because the government rests upon his shoulders. Isaiah tells us that of the increase of his peace and of his government, there shall be no end. He does not simply want to rule in the church, but leave secular society as it is. He wants to rule over all of the earth. He desires that his glory, his tangible manifest presence, would not cover solely the church, but it is written it would cover the earth. He wants all of mankind to bow before, before him, that every government that would be set up would be set up under his government. It is written in Revelation that the kings, all the kings of the earth, will come and bow their knee before the king of kings. We're coming ever closer to that day, that whether they desire to today or not, they will bow. Every government will be brought low before him for his kingdom will reign over all. He says in Haggai, he says to the governor, he's speaking to this political realm and, and he speaks to the high priest, this, this spiritual realm. And he says to the both of them and to the people in Israel that day, he says, is it right for you that you build your houses while mine is left in ruins? Is it right for you to go about living your life, building your life the way that you want to while not attending to mine? And, and, and I believe we'll jump into that, that, that passage next week, Lord willing. It is where this came from. But he says, is that right? He says, make me my house first. Put me First, build my house. But when he told him to build his house, he told him there was a specific way that it must be built. He told them that there was a specific type of wood they even had to get, that they had to scale the mountain. That's interesting because throughout scripture, it is alluded to and spoken of that the Lord is at the mountaintop. 
that in order for us to be with him, we would have to scale the heights where he is and climb the mountain and ascend into his place. And he told him that you would have to go up into the mountain to get this, this wood and, and bring it back. It is this beautiful picture that if you want to build his house, his way, you're going to have to be with him. You're going to have to go to where he is, glean from him, allow him to make you over. And then you come back down and you build it the way that he desires. And for us today, part of that building is not just the, the sanctuaries, the buildings that we have making the service time over. Yes, that, that is a part of it. I, I can remember um, over five years ago, almost six years ago, my family and I hit a speed bump. We stepped out of the perfect will of the Lord for our life, and we were in another city in Florida. The Lord never told us to go to Florida. And we're in Florida, but we're preparing to come back. The Lord gave us the name for the house that we would build, the Father's house. I remember it like it was yesterday, driving down I-4 in Lake Mary, coming up to the exit that I had to get off for uh, our, to get back to our apartment. And I could remember hearing the Lord say the Father's house, and I knew that was the name of this hub, this church, this movement that the Lord wanted to brand. But I remember having no idea what the Lord would begin to do inside of my own heart and inside of our family. And to this point where I am today, I can remember saying to a friend of ours at the time that coming back to Texas, I wanted to change what Sunday morning looked like. I had this in my heart so deeply and I had no idea what I was talking about. That I wanted to change what Sunday morning looked like. See, we in America on Sunday mornings, we gather around a sermon series. We gather around, we, we wait for what the new sermon series title is going to be to determine if we want to hear it, if we like it. You, you know, we want to gather around sermons. But the Bible says that the children of Israel encamped or gathered around his presence. Israel, when they were moving in the wilderness, the Bible tells us over and over that the cloud would guide them by day. His presence would guide them. And wherever the cloud stopped his presence, they camped in that place. And at night, the fire would rage. It was his presence to keep them warm, but they would not get up and move until he told them to. It could be weeks. It could be months. It could be a year that they would be gathered in place as long as his presence was there. But the moment his presence began to move, he would speak to Moses, the Lord, and he would say, we will move this day. They got up and they went. My desire, what I did not know then and what I know now is my desire was to see Sunday begin, uh, Sunday morning so often 
you know, it's this, it's this measured service. We, we have everything perfectly fit and neat. We follow these perfect plans for the morning. But if we're going to get a little more free in the spirit, that has to be either Sunday night or, or Saturday night. We're, we're buttoned up on Sunday. We, we want to keep it neat. But what if the spirit wants to move because someone who is coming needs to have a definitive encounter with him that morning and they will not be there on a Saturday night or a Sunday night. It will be the one time that there is, they are there, but we're too buttoned up to allow the spirit to move in Sunday morning. But he wants our Sunday morning the same way he wants our Saturday night or our Sunday night. He wants that as well. And we must be willing and able to say it belongs to you. I am simply a steward, as 1 Corinthians 4 tells us. Oikinomos. It's a house manager. It's an overseer. It's what we would, in our, in, in our world, it would be like a general manager or a manager of, of a business or a restaurant. I am governing this business for my owner. For the owner, I am ho I'm holding it down. I am building it for their benefit. And for their benefit, I am blessed for that. That is what we're called in, in, in Corinthians. We're stewards, oikinomos, the Greek word, stewards of the mysteries of God. We're to be stewards of what he wants to do. And so we must begin to build his house, not just how we gather the gathering places, but this temple that the Bible tells us in the new Testament, this, this is the house of the living God, this temple of the Holy Spirit, this temple that Jesus says in John, the gospel of John 14, that if we are obedient to him, that the father and the son would come and make this hit their abode, their dwelling place. We must make it over his way. And last week, I, I remember the, the Lord as we were in worship over the last two months or so, if, if not three months, there's been this reoccurring, there's been these things that the Lord has just begun to highlight heavily inside of me. The first was this word humility. He's highlighting this heavily in me. And, and he, he highlighting humility and then I go and read about it somewhere in a book. Someone is highlighting the mantle of humility. And then the Lord begins to highlight his heart to me. Those two Kings, they were after the heart of the Lord. They, the, the Bible says about those two Kings, Hezekiah and Josiah, that they followed the Lord like their father, David. David was after the heart of the Lord all the days of his life. He began to highlight this aspect of his heart and my heart coming into oneness with him. His heart, first it was humility, then his heart. And then I read about someone 
talking about his heart and in pursuit of everything about his heart. And then the third aspect was holiness, these three H's, heart, humility, and holiness. And then over the last month, it's this holiness, living pure before him. One of those words we, you know, none of those really are anything. He's just frustrated over there building. None of those topics are topics where we're going to fill the house necessarily. Even though we sing, we want his heart. Even though we sing about him having his way amongst us and with us, we want his heart, we, we say, but if we just title a sermon or a message about grabbing hold of his heart, I don't know how popular it may be. Humility in our day and in our time may not be the most popular of subjects because sadly, we don't know that pride and arrogance have gripped us so deeply and, and around us. We are, we spend so much time proving, trying to prove that we are who God said that we are. We're trying to prove that we have the goods. We're trying to prove that we are this and we are that. We, we, we're, we're unaware at times that arrogance and pride you, you know, one, one of the things that, sadly, you know, we, we, we start off and we get hurt by people and people don't want to let us play their Christian games with them. They don't want us to be on their team. They don't want to give us the pulpit. They, they don't want to do these different things. And so we get hurt and sometimes what we do is we, we say, see, I'll show them, I'll, I'll prove to them that I am able to be just like them or able to speak in this way. And we push, you know, what we get that from is, you know, sometimes in what we like to call secular life, we, there should be no secular life for the believer. Because even in this world, whether it's business, whether it's entertainment, sports, whatever it is, we ought to be able to carry the kingdom with us and we make an imprint and an impact in whatever sphere of society the Lord has called us to. But sometimes when we have been left off, let's say sports, a team, we begin to work hard because we're going to prove all of our doubters wrong. We're going to prove all of the naysayers wrong. Not recognizing, not understanding that, that attitude inside of, of the kingdom. is not the place where the Lord wants us to be. It is not about proving anyone wrong because the Lord will deal with their heart. It's, this is the child of the Lord who may have dealt with you wrongly. My desire is simply to live obediently to him and in more humility and greater levels of surrenderedness and yieldedness to him, not to prove someone who refused to give me an opportunity to prove them wrong, that I have the goods. And we don't know that at that moment that pride and arrogance has gripped our heart. What, what may work in the sports world, what may work in entertainment, what may work in 
in, in, you know, acting in music when you didn't get a shot and you say, I'm going to go work harder and prove them wrong. It's not the kingdom mode. For the Bible tells us that it is Jesus who opens doors that no man can shut. And it is Jesus who closes doors that no man can can open and and yes it may be someone could have been out of the will of the Lord and not living in love and in refusing you an opportunity but it is not just you by your sheer hard work and grit that will open another door because Jesus opens those doors and closes those doors and no man can close any door that he opens no man can open any door that he closes. And, and I say this because we sometimes have built this way inside the kingdom. And those are buildings that cannot last. Those are ways that cannot have long lasting effect in the kingdom. Be, because we may think that we are having success before men and with men. And we've gained favor. We have gained uh, notoriety. And yet before the Lord, all of our works will burn up because as he says in Matthew 7, 21, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did not we do all of these things? X, Y, Z. We did. Let me read it. I'll jump there. Matthew 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the king of heaven. But he who does the will of my father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied? Oh, in your name, cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew, to, knew you depart from me. You who practice lawlessness, you pr who practice ways of operating the things of my kingdom outside of coming through me. And so uh, there are ways that we must live and do. I, I titled this message today. I put a flyer up. It was blueprints for stepping into the promise, I believe, or blueprints of some sort to go into the promise. Why? Because if I titled this something about holiness, people may not have wanted to hear or listen but holiness is a blueprint it is a way into the very things that he has for us it is a requirement that sadly we have stopped talking about for decades and in our refusal to keep it before men and women and children to live pure before the Lord. We have taught people to, to, to tolerate the demonic way inside of the middle of the kingdom. We have taught people in the name of love to tolerate sin, evil activity, not to put it away from us because 
We want to have people in our church. We want to fill up our seats, but we don't want them to be transformed, which is what Jesus came to do. Jesus did not come to make us a better version of ourselves. Jesus came to crush and to destroy the old man and to make us over into a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 He came to make us a creation that has never existed before. A creation that simultaneously can dwell in two domains. In the heavens, the third heaven, and here in the first heaven on earth. Who lives from the third heaven with where the Father and the Son are. And can live from the third heaven to the first heaven, which is here in the earth. He, he gave his life. He lived pure on the earth. He lived spotless and sinless. That we might be partakers of that life. And for two, maybe three decades now, the teaching of holiness has left the church. And, and, and I know prior to that, that there was a lot of religion as it pertained to holiness. And it was just talking about the do's and the don'ts, what you should and what you should not do, how you should dress and how you shouldn't dress. What television shows you shouldn't watch and how you shouldn't go to the movies and how you shouldn't dance and all of these different do's and don'ts. There were these heavy requirements. Jesus said it this way. He says that the uh, religious come and lay heavy burdens upon men. And he says, and they themselves refuse to lift one finger. They refuse to do it themselves. And, and much of it was le uh, leveled upon women to wear their hair a certain way, to not put makeup on, to wear dresses down to their ankles because you had men who were laden down with lust in their heart and they didn't want to deal with the lust. So they tried to put it off on someone else and tell you not to dress this way, not to look like this so it wouldn't bother me while I was in service. And yet holiness truly is an inside job. It is, is a measure of the heart. It is a measure of the internal life. And the more I draw nearer to him, the more that uh, John, the, the epistle of John, John says he is the brightness. He is full brightness. He is so bright that you cannot, can hardly gaze upon him. And he says, and the nearer you get to that light, you will be exposed. What is in you will be exposed. What is in you that will not, cannot be one with him and dwell around him will be exposed for what it really is. And he says, and anyone who says that they have no sin, he says, you will be found to be a liar the closer you get to him. Because even if you can say these major sins, the major ones we talk about, you have dealt with those. There will be inner things, other things inside of you that you are, may not even be aware of or you may. That the closer you get, you will see 
as Isaiah cried, I am a man who, is, who has unclean lips and he is undone at the seams. The closer he got to him, he realized that as the prophet, the one who was sent to speak the words of the living God, that his mouth was unclean. That bears to speak that everyone who's given this prophetic gift and called to be a prophet will struggle with their mouth. He says, I am a man of unclean lips in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And the angel says not to worry. He took coals from the altar of the Lord and touched his lips. The closer you get to him, it will expose what is really in you. And it will require, if you want to remain in that proximity and go even closer, it will require that you remove certain things from your life. And you will say, well, well, how can you tell me that there is still sin there and that I'm unclean? You see, we are still uh, dealing with sin just from the sexual sins, lying, stealing, th those types of things, the major categories. But I tell you, the closer you get to him, he will reveal areas of your heart that are not reserved for him. And areas of our heart that are not solely reserved for, for him are sin before him. Why? It says in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory. When we hold back areas of our heart just for us and we don't relinquish to him, we've fallen short of the glory and therefore it is sin. There can be areas that for you are all right, but for someone else they're not. There can be areas of your life that are not okay for you, but for someone else, they will be okay. And you will say, well, why is that? He says, because you're prone to worship that area. You're prone to give your life to that area and not give it to me. It's sin. You, you, I, I've used the example over the last several weeks. I, I said to the Lord at the end of May, Lord, what is it that you're asking of me to do right now? that I may have more of your glory. And the Lord says, I want you to get rid of sports. I'm a sports lover, have been all of my life. It's one problem with that. It had an area of my heart that he wanted for him. And if I chose to hold on to it, he couldn't have me in that area and what I was asking for, I could not have. There's a cost associated with receiving from him. And he says, give me this. You know, I'm trying to think. I think it's in Romans. The Bible says to, to him who knoweth to do right and does not do it, it is sin unto him. What's right? The thing he asks of you to do. It's the measure of obedience. To him who knows to do the right thing. He says to you, give this up. Yeah, but you let my wife do it. You let my husband do it. To, to you, give it up. Why? Because it's a God in your heart. It's an idol or it can be an idol in your heart. And he says, give it up for me. To him who knows to do right and does not, it is now sin. And, and I said, Lord, in the midst of the first round of the NBA playoffs, Lord, do you want me to give it up? And then in my mind, I, I started, okay, well, maybe I could watch the first finish, watching the first round, and I will start on June 15th. 
No, no. See, what happens then is that it might get good and your flesh grabs hold of it. And all of a sudden, you, you set this date that's a little further out, and now your flesh is a little more deeply ingrained. And the next thing you know, that that date has come, and, and then you say, okay, I'll push it out another date. And your flesh goes deeper. It, the hooks get deeper in your flesh. And the next thing you know, six months have gone by. And you're still doing the thing that he asked you for. And then you'll come back to the Lord and say, what must I do to receive this from you? And he says, again, I asked you six months ago, a year ago, to give me this. And you did not give it to me. This was around May 29th or May 30th, the end of May, the last couple days in May. And I said to the Lord, on the first day of my fast. I fast every month, beginning on the first day of the month for a period of time. And I said, beginning on my fast, I let it all go. I cut it, cut it out. And I have. Why? It is this picture of Abraham when he says, give me your son, your only begotten. And Abraham hearkened right away. It is this Posture and coming into this place of holiness. And there will be people who say it doesn't require all of that. But I challenge you. I challenge you to find in this book, in the scriptures, where there, it wasn't required of men to lay something down, to give something up, to lay all down for him. Peter asked the Lord when he is talking about the requirement of discipleship to walk with him. Peter says, we've laid all down to follow you. What shall we receive? And he says, no one who gives up houses and lands and husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and family members for my sake and the kingdom that shall not receive in this life houses and lands and etc. family members. All, all I'm talking about is the fact that holiness is an inside job. Holiness is a matter, uh, a matter of your heart. It's a heart matter, a posture of the heart toward him and for him in everything. He will come to you. He will test your measure of loyalty and holiness and ask for areas and things in your life that you love, that you long for, for him. For more of him. Will you give it for me? And if we're to build his house, build this temple for him to dwell in, to build the houses in the land that the garden of God would be established again for his spirit to flow, for revival and awakening, it must be built upon holy ground. Holiness must be the function of all that we are. We must be. We're called in Peter, First Peter, a people, a holy people. That is what we're to be, a royal priesthood, deeper realms of purity and holiness. And, and I am recognizing now that I, I probably won't get through all of my notes for today, but Deuteronomy chapter 7 is where 
where we are going. And I, it is a, a, a passage. I'll read it in one second. Hebrews 12, 14. He tells us to pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Jot this down. Holiness let me say this before I give this point that I want you to jot down. We all say we want to see the Lord. Moses cried out, show me your glory. We sing it. We cry this out. We say we want to see you, Lord, as you really are. Moses cried it. Show me your glory. Show me more of you, who you really are. The Lord took his servant, took his friend, put him in the cleft of the rock and said, you can't see my face because in your natural state, if you saw my face, you wouldn't live. And I'm not ready for you to come yet. There's more for you to do. He says, but I will put you here and I will cover you with my hand and I will remove it as I go past you that you can see my backside. He says in Hebrews 12, 14 again, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Jot this down. Holiness is the magnifying glass by which I am able to see him. We say we want to see him. I want to see more of you. But without holiness, you cannot. You can try all you want. But until holiness begins to consume you. Because he's holy. Because he is that way. Your eyes will not begin to see clear enough. That you can see him as he is. He says, without holiness and the pursuit of peace, having an atmosphere of peace around you, peace with all people, you pursue it. It doesn't mean that everyone will live that way with you, but your pursuit is to be at peace with all men. And holiness is the only way you can see him in this life and in this measure, see his beauty, to see his splendor, to see him in everything is with holiness because your eyes will not be cloudy. They will be clearer that you might see. It is the thing that in our family we talk about more and more. I wasn't raised with the beauty of understanding holiness not as a, not as a form of doing things but holiness as an inside job, as an inner working, that my holiness, this pure life, would allow me to see him. I wasn't raised with that, though there was religion in our background. And so I was allowed to cloud my vision. I was allowed to have my life 
dirtied. I was allowed to let the oil, the vessel, this vessel be polluted with the things of life, with religion mixed in, which dirtied it even more and clouded it so much so that I could see the dirt and the hypocrisy in religion that I turned from it and said, I don't want it. But he says, pursue, let the pursuit of your life be holiness, be peace and holiness. Why? He says, I want you in this life to be able to see me. And without it, you can't. It has been the conversation of our household for my children to never have this backdrop of dirt in their vessel from life. Why? I jealously long for them to see him everywhere they are. For him to have a pure vessel in them to flow through. The reason he doesn't flow through us the way we want him to, and we read of the great generals and the great men and women of old, is because they presented him a vessel that was more pure than the vessels we've offered him. You want him to flow, give him a vessel that's pure. A vessel where the spirit can be quenched in you. A vessel where the spirit cannot be grieved in you. But it's free to flow in and out. And you will see people touched, transformed, and you will see great things happen. Uh, um, I'm trying to think of, I can see his face and I know the title of his ser sermon. I believe it was Spurgeon who wrote sinners in the ha hands of an angry God, not wrote it, but he preached it. And they said Spurgeon, they said he was, he had just this monotone voice. There was no inflection. There was just this one way, you, you, you know how if you went to college and there was, there was always at least one professor that you had in a big auditorium <laughs> that spoke one tone the whole time and you struggled to stay awake. They said that about this man, but they said on this, even though he spoke like that, people would cry out. And when he taught this message, sinners in the hands of an angry God. He didn't speak it with fire and passion. He spoke it the same way, monotone. But they said as he began to preach, people began to fall out. Just poof, poof, all over the place. He even said later, if he had a sword, he couldn't cut the people down as quickly as they were falling out of their chairs. As he spoke in this one term, tone, monotone. God was gripping them and showing them their sin and their lack of holiness in his presence and they were just falling out all over the place until and they were laying there for hours for hours until they got up and they were crying out for this holy God Deuteronomy 7 verse 1 through 9 and we'll see how in the next 15 minutes or so how, how many points if we can get to one but I, I want us to see this. I gave you that one quick point. Holiness is the magnifying glass 
by which we're able to see him. I have two more points about things about holiness, but they come out of this passage, and I want to read it first before giving it to you. He says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, it's Moses speaking. Listen to what he says. And he has cast out many nations before you. For many of us, even now, we believe just as this is written, when he has cast out many nations before you, when he gets rid of the enemy and he removes all of these things from your midst, we think that the Lord is just going to do it. I'm just going to sit back here. I have nothing to do. Revival is just going to come. I have no part to play in that. I don't, I don't have to do anything. The Lord is just going to come and we're just going to have these beautiful, wonderful services. You know, the Lord is going to move. He's going to fall out and we're just going to partake of it. But there's nothing we need to do. We don't have to resist the enemy and, and remove them from the uh, uh, allowance of moving in our homes and in our lives. We have nothing. We think this. He says, when he has cast out many nations before you, all of these ites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, Seven nations greater and mightier than you. There were, if you look at other history, there were actually three more nations uh, included in this. But the Lord only highlights these ten that were greater than them. Those other nations weren't, and they could defeat them easily, which they did without him. But he says seven nations greater uh, than you, mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them, here it is again. He's, he said he's going to do it. Delivers them. But look at what he says. Look at what he says next. He says, when I cast them out, when I deliver them to you, he says, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. He says, you shall leave no more remnant of them in your midst, which means there's something for me to do. The Lord says, I fight for you and I fight with you, but you're going to have to stand. You're going to have to go. You're going to have to face off. You shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. Listen to what he says. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show them any mercy, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. For they will turn your sons away from following me. What does this have to do with holiness in our day especially? We haven't taught holiness properly for decades. And, and maybe even decades before that. We haven't even taught it. Here's the problem. Because we refuse to teach on holiness and talk about holiness as a way of life. We have refused to utterly destroy the enemy's works amongst us. And in our refusal to destroy the works of the enemy amongst us, we have knowingly and unknowingly come into covenant with the enemy. Why? Because we've tolerated them in our midst. We've let them dwell in our land. Oh, we, we don't want to offend anyone. So let them live in their sin. Don't call it out. We've said, that it's okay. And we've allowed it to grow stronger in our midst. 
We no longer have made a fuss about the television shows that they place on before us as they've begun to be more decadent, more disgusting, more heinous, as they warred against the family foundation and warred against purity in our society. But we said, it's just art and entertainment. We've allowed it to be projected into our homes and we've allowed them to marry our sons and our daughters. We've allowed our sons and our daughters to marry filth, marry perversion, while at the same time giving them a dose and a measure of religion, bringing them into the youth group and youth night and wondering why they don't want it, when for years, daily, weekly, at our homes, we've allowed them to be married with perversion and why they don't want holiness. We've allowed them to come into covenant with the enemy and we wonder why they don't want to come into covenant with the Lord. We've allowed them to feed their flesh, to feed the hunger of the flesh by not bringing them into the measure and the purity of the spirit and we wonder why they don't want it. And he says here, when I bring you into the nation, that I'm bringing you into the land that you're going to possess. It's your promise. I wrote the title, The Blueprint for Possessing the Promises. And I let, left dotted lines behind it. What, whatever promise that is. There's a blueprint for it. He says right here, we're going to keep reading. That blueprint is holiness. It is covenant with the Lord and him only. It is not allowing, look, we, we have at the expense of ourselves, our children, our, our, the beauty of walking with the Lord, the power, we've tolerated way too much. We've tolerated family who don't want anything to do with the Lord. And they're willing to come and spew their filth around you. And you say, well, the Bible teaches a family, and it does. He is a family, but he wants a family unto himself that embraces his ways and his life. Jesus himself, when he was in the temple teaching, and his own family, his own mother, and his brothers, whom he loved greatly, and you know he loved his mother greatly. From the cross, he was making preparations for him. Though he was hanging on the cross, he made preparations for her life as the oldest son to care for her. He gave her into the hands of John. He says, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. And from that day, the Bible says, she went with him and he cared for her because Jesus could no longer do it. But there was a day he was in the temple. The Bible says that his mother and brothers came outside the temple. They didn't go in, yet they were members of the Jewish community. They didn't go in. He's teaching. They didn't go in, but they said they told someone else to go in and tell him, we desire to have a word with him outside. Why didn't they come in? Uh, I believe if you put all the gospels together and reading them, I believe that the reason they didn't go in and the word they wanted to have with him was about the fact that the religious leaders were putting pressure on his family. He's destroying the church. 
what, you need to have a word with your son because if he doesn't, this is, he's going to be excommunicated. We're going to do this. They were putting pressure upon him to make him get into line and stop this preaching, stop this healing, this delivery, stop doing this. They wanted to have a word with him outside the temple. Here's what Jesus said. When they said, your mother and your brother are outside, they want to have a word with you. He says, who are my mother and my brother? Those who hear the word of God and do it. Was he being unloving to his natural family? No, 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 he wasn't. He was just fully embracing his heavenly father. It's the same thing, the other picture we have of him when he was 12. And he, they left him, didn't know he was still there. He was debating, the Bible says, with the Pharisees and Sadducees. He was asking questions and expounding on knowledge and wisdom for days. They couldn't find him and came back and they, they said, why did you do this to us? Why did you make us worry? He looked at him and said, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? We have tolerated way too much and come into covenant with the dark side, come into covenant with evil, come into covenant with that which the Lord has said, make no covenant with, and you say, but, but, but uh, Pastor Ryan, he's talking about nations. Yeah, every nation represents a spirit here. It's why the Lord says, get rid of them. They refuse to bow to me. They cannot remain. Why? Because if they remain, they will capture your heart and pull you away from me. They represent a spirit. And for us, they represent spirits in our nations. And whatever nation you may be watching from, they represent spirits in that nation that the Lord says, come into no league with. I, I remember, it's an example. I'm not going to get to my points. <laughs> I'll finish reading this, but... I remember there's a certain, um, uh, and I'm not going to mention his name, I could, there's a certain producer, actor that everyone knows. Years ago, before I was, long, before I was ever a, a pastor, I was just, before in fivefold ministry, I was serving in ministry at the church, but I just was a lover of Jesus. That's, that's all I was. And I remember this particular producer, actor, very popular, huge today, we know him. He created this series of movies. And in the movies, he partook of this, this part where he dressed up as a woman. And everyone loved him. People in our church was talking about him. They would go every time a new movie came out. I never saw one. I, I can honestly say that I, I may have seen... I, 10 minutes of, and this series, it was a lot, lot of movies. Why? Because Leviticus says this to me, and this doesn't mean I, I, I've been perfect in everything, because I have not. But this part time, I'm just using it as, as an example. This is a scripture that says in Leviticus, when he is giving the laws, and remember the laws were to bring the children into his love. The laws were not about just, you better not, or else my wrath is coming upon you. The laws were, 
All you know is how to live in a pagan land. You lived in this pagan land and they taught you how to serve false gods. That's all you know. I need to give you my laws and commandments so that you begin to learn what it is to live in the love of the Lord your God. Because love was the superseding. It was greater than all of the commandment. The commandments were to lead them to love. When they came to love and lived in love, you fulfilled all of the law. The Bible says you wouldn't have to worry about, Oh, I got to keep, Oh, I got to do this. Oh, I got to do this. The laws were to bring them to love that they could be with love. And that's what the laws were for. We see them. We've seen them so wrong. It's like, Oh, I got to do this. And I, no, it's to bring you to love. We understand it in our own life. We put rules in our household for our children. We, we have, we have these rules in a married couple. The moment I got married, I, I didn't stay out to two, 3 AM in the morning. You know, I didn't do that anymore. When you're single. Okay. You just, oh yeah, I ain't got nobody to think about or answer to. But when you get married, you know what? I have a spouse that wants me to be home when it's time to go to bed. You, you, you know, it's difficult. It's a, it's a difficult thing as a spouse after years when one spouse isn't there for you, you're used to going to bed together. It's it, you, you have a, you have to work into it. It takes you a little longer when something's out of order like that. So we understand it. And the Lord set these laws to say, look for 400 years, you all have learned how to live in a pagan world who didn't serve me. And you had these rules and you serve false God that they were brought to him. So the, the law in Leviticus says that a man is not to dress in woman's clothing and neither is a woman to dress in men's clothing. I read that and I said, I'm not going to watch these movies, not knowing what was going to explode in our society, you know, coming up. I refuse to watch these movies, no matter how entertaining they may have been and funny they were and, and quote unquote, good, clean entertainment. They couldn't be that clean because they were going against the heart of the Lord and projecting into our homes, projecting into our society so much so that now you, you, you and I'm not saying this was the start of this, but it certainly didn't help it. You know, to the point now where you can't almost tell the difference between men and women's clothing in some regards. And we have this explosion in people wanting to live a certain way, change gender, gender identity, having sexual misorientation or whatever it may be. And I refused. Why? I didn't want to come into covenant with that. And I didn't even know that at that moment. I didn't want to cut covenant with that measure of life that it would confuse me today to what the Lord really desired and why he desired it. Uh, let me go on and read this and then, then so, so that I can close. He says in verse five, but thus you shall deal with them. You shall deal with, with, you shall destroy their altars. Their places of worship, their places of sacrifice, destroy them. 
cut their programming into your home. Places of worship, their altars, their television screens all over our home. You know, in, in our family, we, we have cut out so much TV that right now we are about to get rid of the whole internet, period, not internet, the whole cable system, period, because anything we watch is on an app that we can control and we know uh, how wholesome it is. We know all of these different things. So we're, we're about to cut it out, you know, and, and because there is an altar that has been built to Satan, an altar that has been built to the demonic, and an altar that has been built to uh, his realm and his way. And he says, you shall destroy their altars. He's created these altars and these things which are for good or can be for good, in many ways they become altars as well. Our tablets, our phones. He says, destroy their altars. Get rid of those things where you create a place of worship to the enemy. Break down their sacred pillars. Cut down the wooden images and burn their carved images with fire. Here's why. Verse 6. For you are, this is who we are, a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God. This is who we are. We are a people of his holiness. We are a people called to live, to walk in, to project the holiness of the Father, the holiness of the Son, and the holiness of the Spirit upon a society that is in darkness in many areas. And we are to be people of the light of purity. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. He goes on to say in verse seven, the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than other people for you were the least of all people, but because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath, which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage and from the land of Pharaoh, the king. But that verse six sounds so similar to second Peter, uh, excuse me, first Peter chapter two, verse nine, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Back to these other couple of points quickly on holiness. And then, then I'll close. The first thing I said from Hebrews 12, 14 is that holiness is the magnifying glass by which I am able to see him. You want to see him. You want him to be exposed to you, magnify, made bigger in your eyes and in your life, then holiness is that magnifying glass that you lift him up, that you, that you are able to peer into the heavenlies and see what is going on. The second thing about holiness, 
Holiness, it is to be the distinguishing mark about us as believers that is clearly seen by all. Uh, far too much in our day. There is no delineation amongst us. There is no delineation, no difference between us and the world. If you go out, oftentimes you cannot tell the difference between those who say that they are believers and those who are not. They look too close, look the same. We do the same things. We act the same way. We say sometimes our conversation is similar. The words proceeding from our mouth are similar because the church has to make everybody feel comfortable to come in. And I'm telling you, the world is not looking for comfort. It is looking for truth. Yeah. It is looking. Do, do you really believe what you say you believe? Do, do you, do you, is this really real? Is living for the Lord? Is it possible? That's right. Is it possible you can live a sin? I, I, I can remember, I just had this example pop into my head. I hadn't thought, thought about this for a while. I remember when I was a manager at this particular restaurant, one of the young men who worked for me. And now mind you, we had other, we had several other believers working there because we all went to the same church. Our owner went to this church. This one young man who worked on my shift, and, and I had to fire him later on, but that's beside the point. This one young man said to me during one of, my, one of the shifts I was manager, he said to me, you know, he said, Ronnell, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get you to curse. I'm going to get you to swear. I'm like, what are you talking? He was like, because I've never heard you use a swear word, ever. And he says, but I've heard some of these other people who say they're Christians use them. And I've never heard you use one. And I said, you, you won't, you won't get me, you won't get me to do that. Why? Cause that he took that from me when I gave my, my life to him. He never heard me use it. He got fired. <laughs> you know, he tried. That's what led to him getting fired. But the fact of the matter is, is that we have believers who refuse to check and, and someone, someone is saying, you know what? Well, well, you know, what, what does swearing in our language have to do with anything? And, and we always want to use this example. I've heard this so much, and we use it so wrongly. Well, well Peter cursed. Peter swore. No, 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 no. You, you, you missed the whole story. The Bible says that Peter was being accused by the unbelievers, those who were not with Jesus. They said to Peter, you're one of them. You, you're a Nazarene, just you're one, you're with the Nazarene. And Peter, no, no, I'm not. And this is what they said about Peter. Your speech betrays you. You sound just like him. You don't sound like us. Peter's speech had changed. Peter's way of talking had changed. They said, your speech betrays you. So the verse said, so Peter, trying to prove that he was one of them, the Bible says, so Peter began to swear so that they would stop accusing him because he was afraid. And then the Bible says, and the rooster crowed the third time because he had denied him three times. Peter wasn't swearing anymore for just as a manner of conversation. Peter had given up that life because he walked with Jesus. He walked with him. And for anyone that uses that as, 
as an excuse. You're trying to say that you are able to walk with Jesus and still look like and live like the world. It is impossible. If you get closer to him, everything in you will be upended, turned upside down. The same way he was in the temple and turned over all the table of the money changers and those who were selling inside the temple. And he says, my father's house will be a house of prayer for the nations and you have made it a den of thieves. He turned everything upside down and he will do the exact same thing inside of your life. Your life will produce a holiness in the way that you speak, in the way that you act, in the way that you talk, so that there is a difference between you and those who don't serve. And it will be a highlighting to them. You do not draw them in by becoming like them. You draw them in by your difference and they see that you're not weird, that you're not kooky, that you're not all of these things, but there's something on you that is desirable. His name is Jesus. It is the distinguishing mark of believers that is clearly seen by everyone. Here's the third thing. It is a weapon by which we wage war upon the kingdom of darkness. He told them, don't come into covenant with darkness. Don't come into covenant. Don't, he says, destroy their altars. Destroy their pillars. Destroy the enemy's life around. Don't come into covenant. Don't let your sons and daughters be married to these spirits, to these giants. Don't do it. And he's saying it to us. He says, you're a holy people to me. He says, your holiness is how you wage war. It is a weapon of warfare against the kingdom of darkness. The closer we walk to Jesus and the more pure that we become, the enemy, because it is he can't find anything in you, anything in you that he can that he can attach to anything there that he says, I can hold on to. He's like, no, I don't want to let their heart go. And he tries to fight for it. And every chamber of your heart that is released and given to the master, he can't hook into anything in every area of your life that you say no more to this. It is yours. He can't find anything and eventually, you're too bright for him to be around. It, it is, you know, this picture of where the seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts. It is where they came and the man tried to buy the power of God. And the seven sons of Sceva looked at this man and says, Jesus, well, we know. Those demons said, oh, we know him. Paul, we know, the same fire that burns in Jesus. We see that in Paul. We recognize his authority. They said to him, but who are you? It is like that with us. When we walk in this place of purity and the more we walk in it, the more we walk in holiness, the more we burn with the fire of Christ in us. And the enemy says, but I don't want to go close to them because they will kick me out. They'll destroy me. They have authority over me and they're recognizing it and seeing it. I don't want to come close. There's a difference in life. It is one of the blueprints. And we're going to next week, we'll get into these seven nations and the spirits that they represent that the Lord says, kick out, kick them out. When I, you're coming into your promised land, get rid of them out of your life, out of your household, out of the churches, out of the land, rid them from the land. And holiness is the weapon of warfare that we use to do it. Holiness of our own lives. 
It is how we are going to step into the great awakening. It's to live pure before him. And we embrace your ways and we embrace your life. We embrace you. It is how we have the free flow of the Holy Spirit. Because he, two things with the Holy Spirit. He can be grieved and he can be quenched. Grieved is the measure of sin that I live in that he can't be around anymore because I'm doing it and it quenches him and he steps back. Quenching means he's flowing and I get in the way by pride, arrogance, whatever. I think I want to control it. He's moving and I kink the holes of the flow of water. I quench him. Oh, he's holy. The Bible, I want to read this one last verse and then, then I'm done. First Peter <clears throat> 1 Peter 1.15 and 16. It says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct because it is written, be holy for I am holy. He says, he who called you, you, you know, we, all of our life, we're, I've been called to this. The Lord is called. What, what's the Lord calling you to? What is the Lord called? We're worried about callings. Well, we should be. We need to know what he, his purpose for our life is, where, he, where he's pushing us and where he's wanting us to be. But there's one calling that's greater than all these other ones that he's called us to be and we don't talk about. He's called us to be holy. As he who called you is holy. The one who called us, he is holy. So now you are called to be holy. In all things, in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. It's the weapon of our warfare. In this day and in this hour, we want to see darkness overturned in the United States of America. The church, believers everywhere, must step back into the covenant of holiness. We must teach it, not as a measure of do's and don'ts, of rights and wrongs, but a measure of love to the one that we say we're in covenant with. As a measure of, I want to be close to you forever and ever. And it, says, and it means I will judge myself of the life that I'm living so that I can walk nearer to you. And the nearer I walk to him, the less I can carry my baggage with me. And the less stuff I want to even have with me. The less stuff that I want to do. Because I want to be near to you. I want to be next to you. And I can only be there if I don't bring all of this other stuff with me. And I'm telling you, the more holy that we are, the more the world will come. The more we'll draw them. We're trying to draw them with lies and deceit. We're trying to draw them because we think by being like them, they will like us. It's not about being liked. It's about showing me the way. Show me truth. Show me what is right. Show me how to live because I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm struggling with my children. I'm struggling in my company, on my job. Show me a way. I need peace. And he says, pursue peace. We're to be the peace givers. We are to be hope peddlers in the earth. We're to be the ones who live with this fragrance everywhere that we go. If you, if you haven't noticed yet, 
and these numbers that they're putting out the statistics that people are fed up with lies and deceit in politics. They're fed up. People want to know, and these aren't just believers. These are people all over. Does anybody live the truth? Is there humility in anyone? Is anyone not after my money? Is anyone not after my life? Is anyone living in a way that they want to give life to me? And it is our holiness that will guide the way, that will show them, I want nothing from you, but I want to give everything to you. His name is Jesus, and he has left his spirit. He has sent his spirit here to guide and to lead us. The more we walk back into this, the more the world will be drawn. The more we push toward this, the more every house that we're in will begin to burn and it will not be consumed and people will come because the smoke is rising from it. It is this holiness that we must live in it. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? I pray we got something out of the word. That was just the introduction. I didn't even get to my points. Father, we love you this morning or this afternoon now. <clears throat> and we're so grateful for your faithfulness and the measure of your love toward and to us. And we ask that you would draw us deeper <clears throat> into this place of purity, the pure life, the holy life. Would you remove the scales from our eyes? Would you unclog our ears? Would you remove the stone from around our heart that we might feel and know? Cause us to live in such a way that we could claim to be your people again. You said we are your people reserved for you. And that's a people who are to be holy before you. Draw us into this place of purity, of the consecrated life, the set apart life for you. Not separate from the world, but set apart from the ways of the world. But that the world might see the beauty of your nature flowing through us. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would have your way today. I believe that many of the ailments, the sicknesses, the diseases, the things that we face right now. That the moment we turn back to him. Impurity and holiness, they will be removed. They are spirits of infirmity that attach themselves to us and holiness will drive them far from us. So I thank you right now. Many of the things that we're facing around us, the enemy is trying to stop us from moving forward. And when we return in holiness and purity and we make this the badge and the fixture of our life, they will flee. For there is nothing that they can cling to. So we just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal to every one of us areas of greater consecration, greater purity, places where we can lay our hearts down and bear before you. That with boldness we can say like David, examine my heart and see if there be any wickedness in me. That we can say, examine us, O oh Lord. 
that we might look more like you. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, that even now you're forming greater character and integrity. That we might walk in higher dimensions and higher realms, that the supernatural begins common, is commonplace because there's a free flow that can go through our lives, in and through our lives, unhindered and unchecked by the beauty and purity that we walk in. We love you, we honor and magnify you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, bless you. We love you. We pray that you have a wonderful day. To those of you online, I thank you for joining us today. We're so honored that you would be with us, and I pray that this has been a tremendous blessing, that it has gripped your heart, gripped you to the, the, the degree that there is brokenness and tears, the gift of brokenness and tears that comes, that I am not walking as I should, brokenness that I have broken his heart and tears because I have grieved him in some way that we would come back to this life of holiness and purity. Well, we at the Father's House Frisco, we love you. We bless you from my wife and I, my family, to you. May you have a tremendously blessed week in the presence of the Lord. May he cause you to walk in higher levels and, and realms of purity and holiness before him. Until next week, we love you and we bless you. Bye-bye.